Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Well, it's so good to be with you. If we haven't met, uh, my name is Michael, one of the leaders here, and we just uh, want to thank you for being with us in the middle of summer. Summer is really just almost over, I think, for us in Montreal, right? I know we're kind of at the beginning, but who knows? Tomorrow we might get snow. You never know here. Uh, but really, thank you for being with us. Uh, we're actually just on week two on a summer series that we're doing on the Psalms. And if you joined us last week, uh, you know that we called this series Grown Up Prayers. And Pastor Dom kind of mentioned... Uh, at the beginning of last week that we kind of, just as a staff, struggled to come and come up with a name of the series. We weren't sure where we were going to land. He suggested a name. I kind of said, maybe it's too offensive. The staff all agreed with me. And then he said, just grow up. And then I understood. It all made sense. This is a serious case. No, I'm kidding. That's not what happened at all. We're going to give you just a new version every week just to keep you on your toes. Uh, but the reason why we called this series Grown Up Prayers is we really wanted to highlight how important it is not just to learn to pray, not to just to pray often, but to actually grow and mature in our prayers, and that the Psalms actually help us to do that. And kind of conversely, on the other side of the coin, the title Grown Up Prayers also highlights that it's even possible to pray in ways that are immature or that dishonor God. If you missed uh, week one, you can go back and listen to how Pastor Dom kind of introduced this idea and explains a bit of that. But this week and in the weeks to come, over the summer, we're going to be focusing or looking at different psalms and how they focus on or touch on different themes of prayer. And as we go through them, we hope this helps you just reflect on this question. In what ways do my prayers need to grow and mature? Are there areas that I'm prone to maybe ignore? Or are there ways I've been praying that aren't honoring to God? One of the ways that, I, as I've thought about this, that I've done this for so many years that I'm still tempted to do today is to pray in a way that's ruled by my feelings. One of the gifts, actually, of the Psalms is that they help us to pray in ways that are really authentic and honest about our brokenness and our humanity, and they actually help us get real about those things. But for so long, I confused authentic prayer with just, doing, if, just praying if it matched how I feel. And I did this particularly when I think about the kind of idea of praise, that I thought I could only praise God if I got good news, or if I saw, thought He was doing something good in my life, or if I felt happy, or I felt good. And I can be, uh, my family knows this, I can be a pretty moody guy, and so it meant that I wasn't really praising God very often. I could easily just let my emotions get the better of me and kind of spiral very quickly. And for so long it was because I confused authenticity with being ruled by my feelings or my emotions. Maybe you've confused that as well. And there's a verse in the Bible that comes from the Old Testament that Jesus later refers to. That's an important verse, actually, that highlights the importance of being authentic in our prayers and in our worship, and to not be fake, to not be hypocrites. But for a long time, I was really confused about what this verse was actually saying. And here's what the verse says. Maybe you've seen it before. It comes from the book of Isaiah. 
and Jesus refers to it in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, it says this, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It's a really uh, important rebuke, actually, to say, you know, how easy it is or tempting it is to be a hypocrite in our prayer or in our worship, that it's easy to pray and to sing songs to God but never actually change. But for a long time when I read this verse, I understood it as only pray or only praise God if it matches how I feel. And I, I let kind of my need to be authentic actually become a barrier for me in growing in prayer. Authenticity is actually such a big value in our world today. And as a good millennial, believe it or not, I'm a millennial. I know I look much older. Uh, but I care deeply about this value of authenticity. And all of us should care about this, especially even in our worship, that to be authentic is about being honest and transparent and resisting the pressure maybe to put on a facade or pretend to be something that you're not. But the value of authenticity can go too far if it becomes being always being true to your feelings in a way that those feelings rule. A lot has been kind of written and published over the years about authenticity, and it's such a buzzword in our world today. But lately, there's also this, been this growing sense that while there's a healthy side and understanding to authenticity and what it is, there's also an unhealthy side. Forbes magazine actually recently put out an article, actually just a couple months ago, that they titled The Dark Side of Authenticity. And it highlights this growing research that while authenticity, when understood in a healthy way, is a good thing for us and for society, that when it's seen or understood as always surrendering to our emotions or our selfish impulses or doing whatever we want, it actually becomes a bad thing. And not only that, but it's no longer viewed by others as a good value because it lacks growing in integrity and maturity. It lacks the maturity to say, maybe what I feel or what I think right now actually isn't good or healthy for me or for other people. And if you take that same approach maybe to praying the Psalms, you'll never grow or mature in prayer. You'll never learn to pray certain prayers that you're more tempted to ignore or if they don't match how you feel or what you're thinking in the moment. If you fall into this unhealthy view of authenticity, of being ruled by your feelings, you'll miss even the deep and healthy and real authenticity of the Psalms and how they teach us that. And in a moment, we're going to look at one particularly Psalm uh, this morning. But before we do, I want to highlight just a couple things we, want to, we introduced you last week about the Psalms that'll just be a helpful reminder for us. Uh, the first thing is that uh, the book of Psalms, you can put the slide up, that in the book of Psalms, which is kind of a collection of sacred songs and poems um, in your Bible. That they're, In your Bible, they appear as one book, but they're actually five different books. They're uh, 150 psalms total, and they're broken up in this way you see on the screen. That while, in your, again, in your Bible, they appear as one book, uh, they're actually organized into five books, and your Bible actually should show you how those books are broken up. Uh, but the second thing about the psalms is that they not only touch on different emotions— like betrayal or sadness or some of those things, but they also touch on different themes. Themes like praise or confession or lament or hope or so on. And these themes kind of just weave themselves through the Psalms as these Psalms touch on different themes and emotions. And one of the real gifts of the Psalms is they help us, again, to get honest about our brokenness and about all the emotions that we experience in the human experience. But they also teach us to pray through these different themes. Themes like confession or lament or praise, even when we don't feel like it. They help us mature by leading us to be intentional about these different prayers, even when we don't feel or think that we need them. And they actually help us to get honest about the feelings and the emotions that we're even more prone to ignore. To get honest in a way that those emotions then don't dictate how we respond to God. 
that instead we learn to surrender those and surrender to how God wants to transform us. And that's a very different approach to our emotions than we think about maybe approach that I've fallen into or maybe that you can be tempted to fall into. And so as you learn to pray through the Psalms this summer, as we highlight different themes or aspects of prayer, would you just be open to the different ways maybe God is using or teaching or helping you to grow as we look at these different Psalms and the different themes that they touch? To learn to praise Him even when you don't have good news. Or to confess even when it feels painful. Or to grieve and to lament even when your temptation may be to stuff down some of that sadness or ignore it. Because if you confess only when you feel like it, you'll never learn to confess. Or if you praise only when you feel good, you'll dishonor what it means to pray God, to pray to God for who He is. But as you let the Psalms lead you in these different prayers, God will teach you to not only get honest about those things, but to surrender them to Him in a way that, res- that you learn to respond in a way that honors Him. And so this week we're going to look at uh, a particular Psalm, which is Psalm 8, uh, which is part of Book 1 of the Psalms. And one of the key themes of this Psalm is the theme of praise. And as we go through it, just pay attention to how it's teaching you to mature in the area of praise, that to praise God moves beyond just praising Him when you feel like it. And so uh, as we look at this psalm, the first thing to know about this psalm is that it's written with almost a kind of header. And if you have a Bible, you'll actually see that at the top. It's in many of the psalms. And while you may remember, we've mentioned before that in other parts of your Bible, particularly if you look at the New Testament letters, those headings that you see have actually been added later. They weren't there originally. They were added by modern translations. So that's something to pay attention to. But that in the psalm, in this psalm and in others, the heading that's there actually was there originally and has since been translated from the original Hebrew. And it really tells us two things. First, that it's a psalm of David, meaning it was likely written by David, who was kind of the greatest, uh, Israel's greatest king. He was responsible for writing many of the psalms, or at least it was commissioned by him and connected to him in a special way. And second, it tells us that it was written for the context of communal worship, that it was originally even put to song for the community to sing together in the temple with a kind of note there you'll see, depending on your version of the Bible, it'll say, for the the choir master or for the music director. This is important because it's easy to miss that the Psalms were written in the context of worship together. And while we can, we can and should pray these psalms and learn to do that on our own as individuals, they're first and foremost created for worship in community. And when the people of Israel praised God, it was something that they learned to do in community with others because they recognized the need for and the role of the community to draw us in worship in those times when maybe we don't feel like it. They help us point to something about God maybe we've been missing or that we haven't understood before. And this is even just our hope as a church, that every time we gather in worship and sing songs and open the scriptures, that God would use the worship of this community together to teach and remind each of us something about God maybe we've been missing or maybe we've never seen before. And to remind those who feel far from God that he still loves them and, wants, and what it means to commit to his ways. And that it would even fuel kind of our worship and how you pray to God as you go into the rest of the week. And so this psalm begins as we look at it, by pointing to a truth about God uh, that they really need to grow in together, that we need to grow in together. It says this, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Such a beautiful, simple prayer. Just that praise of God. And I think it's enough that maybe we could just even just declare that line together, stop there, and just go home. And that would be good. 
But the beauty of this psalm, and it's actually structured in a way that it's going to now move us deeper and deeper into this truth about what this means and what God actually calls us to do in light of this. It's structured in this way that it was common actually in other ancient kind of poetry or writing or other parts of the Bible in order to make kind of certain things jump out or for us to feel kind of a certain movement within it. And it's almost like how today when you think about something structured in a particular way, like how most, uh, it, it makes me think of just how most modern songs are organized or structured in a per- particular way to make something stand out or for you, for you to feel a movement. They typically go, you know this, verse 1, chorus, verse 2, chorus, bridge, 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 chorus, right? There's a certain rhythm that we're just used to that we see all the time. And they do that to kind of highlight certain themes or to help us see where the song's taking us. And you'll notice as we go through this psalm that with this psalm, it not only begins with this line, but it also ends with the exact same line. And it does this in order to kind of frame a general theme that gets sharpened or comes more into focus as we move into the center of this psalm. And the theme that it wants you to kind of frame or pay attention to as we move is that God is a powerful, majestic God. That he's not just beautiful, that he's not just brilliant or radiant, but that he's powerful. He's a powerful God and he's the most powerful. And that he rules and reigns over all the earth and all creation as ruler or as king. And as we move kind of towards the center of this psalm, it's going to help us to see that to mature in our praise of God is not just to praise God for who he is, but also to commit to living in light of who he is. That while maybe a good starting point for us, or maybe if you're just here for the first time exploring this, is just to begin to recognize things about God, about his character, about his goodness, that as we then grow and mature, and as we learn to praise God in new ways, we begin to praise God in a way that deepens our trust and commitment to him as well. And in particular, this psalm is going to help us see that praise that honors God's power is praise that shapes us to live in light of that power, to learn that in different ways. And it's going to do this kind of next, as we move through this, next in a very surprising way. Okay, here's what it says next. It says this. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Kind of a confusing phrase, right? Probably wish we stopped at the first line. Uh, but like all at once, it sounds like it's talking about babies, infants, and enemies, and what maybe feels like magical powers. To me, it kind of sounds like maybe it's like the opening line of a fantasy novel that you would pick up and read, or maybe it's like the pitch to a new uh, show on Netflix, right? You'd get all kinds of shows on Netflix. Who knows? They might start with something like that. But let me just read it again, and then we'll kind of work through this a little bit. It says, through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the Avengers. Okay, to kind of help us maybe understand what the writer's saying here, I want to really highlight two images that they're using to help us kind of get a picture of God's power. Okay, one is the image of a baby, and the other is the image of a stronghold. So first, the, the writer uses this image of a baby as a sign or a symbol of kind of what it means to be totally dependent or a picture of just even powerlessness. Because nothing is kind of more helpless or dependent than a newborn human baby. And they use this image to show that God is the kind of ruler, that he has the kind of power, and he's the kind of king who cares about the weak and the powerless. That he hears when we cry out to him in those moments of weakness, or when we feel powerless and call on him in total dependence. 
And it's also to show that he's the kind of God who even chooses the weak over the strong, which is such good news for each of us. But then the writer, so that's the image of the baby, okay? Then the writer moves to the image of a stronghold. And maybe just as you hear that, you can think of more like a fortress uh, or even just outer walls, maybe of a castle. It's this image of limits or limitations. This image of a kind of fortress or castle wall that keeps things in and keeps other things out. And it creates almost a sort of boundary. And he uses this as if to say that because God alone is all-powerful, that everything else he's created has been given limits, including each of us. And not only that, but our limits are meant to be seen as a gift to us. And when we accept those, we live at peace in the presence of God, who's king. But when we don't accept them, when we push against them or we force, try to force something or fight against them, we almost become like a sort of enemy to God and to his ways and, to, and, and an enemy to the people around us as well. I thought about just this idea of healthy boundaries and the need for healthy boundaries in our lives. And I think we, maybe as those of us who are parents, really understood this, understand this in a different way as we think about our kids. Uh, we, as some of you know, we have three daughters, and our youngest is seven years old. And we j- just recently, when she finished school, uh, they had a, we had a few nights in a row right after school was ended that she stayed up really, really late. Okay, one was kind of on purpose. We kept her up, and then a couple were accident, and then they kind of built. And after three or four days, she's normally such a happy-go-lucky, you know, easy kid, and she just became miserable. And in her eyes, everybody to her became her enemy. Didn't matter what we said or what we tried to do. Everything was, everyone was an enemy in her eyes. And I think it was really, it was because we had pushed those limits, those natural limits that she'd been given so far that it became unhealthy for her and for those around her. And you might just remember if you were here last week, Pastor Dom shared that one of the principles or practical questions to kind of ask as we go through the Psalms is, as we look at something, is, is this something that applied to others that also applies to me? And this is a good question when we think of that verse and see the word enemy. To ask, are there ways that I can choose to be like an enemy to God's ways or to God's purposes? Because whenever you try to force or ignore or fight against the healthy limitations that God has given or the things you weren't meant or designed to try to control, you oppose and dishonor God's ways. And so this verse is calling us not only to us, for us to see that God is the kind of God who meets us in our weakness and has a special kind of power and strength that's available to us when we feel powerless, but it also calls us to trust in his power by accepting our own limitations. Where in your life, maybe, do you feel powerless or weak right now? Is there an area where you feel kind of helpless or frustrated that something is out of your control? Whether it's a situation at work or at home, or maybe with a particular relationship that comes to mind? And how do you find yourself reacting as you think about that in that situation? How do you pray in that situation? Are you learning maybe to trust in God's power and to praise Him even in your weakness? Or are you more tempted to stretch, to try to stretch beyond your limits, to fight against the things that are out of your control, or to seek a kind of a power for yourself over others? And because the writer of this psalm has matured in their praise of God and has learned to kind of work this out and to trust in God's power, he's able to write and even to lead others in this next part of the psalm. Here's what it says, such a beautiful passage. He says this, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, 
the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. That's such a beautiful prayer. And it's as if the writer is saying, God, when I consider all the things you've made, including the things that are just much bigger and more powerful and, than I am, how incredible it is that you still think of me and that you still care about me. That you are mindful of me even with my own limitations that I feel. That you care about me even when I feel weak or helpless. And for that I choose to trust and depend on you in a deeper way. It's like he's almost saying, praise you, God, for you are strong when I am weak. Which is such a powerful and mature prayer. To not just say, praise you, God, for you are strong, but praise you, God, for I am weak. Nobody does that. Nobody says, praise God for the areas I can't control. Or praise God for my limitations. Unless they're mature in in their prayers. Unless you're learning to trust that God is still powerful where you are weak. To trust that he still cares and is still at work in ways that are beyond anything you can do on your own strength. The psalm really teaches us to pray, God, thank you that you are strong and powerful even when I feel weak. Teach me to look to you and depend on you more and more. Because that's the kind of praise that really honors him. But this is not just a a passive prayer. That's not how we're supposed to understand it. It's not saying to just sit back and do nothing just because of who God is and because he's powerful. But now as we kind of move to the center of this psalm and to the heart of really where it's leading us, it leads us to praise God in a really surprising way. To not only praise him in a way that trusts in his power, but that also takes responsibility for a kind of power that he entrusts to us and the things that he's calling us to. Here's what it says. It says this, You have made them, them being human beings, a little lower than the angels, and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swims the paths of the seas. Isn't that crazy? Just that the psalm starts by talking about God as the one who is all-powerful and who reigns over everything, then moves to this mandate that he's given us to be co-rulers with him over his creation. This is such maybe just a big, rich, theological idea that maybe sounds really complicated and maybe feels a little bit overwhelming, but just stay with me. We'll we'll look at it quickly. Uh, But as you look at this passage, for the writer of this psalm, as he's writing this, and for the people of Israel who are maybe hearing this or singing this psalm for the first time, they would immediately think of the creation story from the beginning of Genesis, and the original purpose and mandate God gave humans, which was that he, was, he made us in his image, and then he gave us this same mandate or this calling to co-rule with him. But something that's really important to understand is that God didn't give us kind of the same level of authority or the power that he has to rule as his equal, but instead he entrusts us more with a certain responsibility to be stewards of his creation. The word steward maybe isn't one that we use in everyday life, but sometimes you maybe hear it in the context of a hotel or a a plane maybe. But it captures this idea of being given responsibility for something that doesn't belong to you. A steward is really given a role or responsibility to care and look after something that ultimately belongs to someone else. 
And so this mandate God gives humans is with this understanding that we've been given responsibility for something that belongs to him and that surrenders to his reign and to his power. But I think when we read this passage and think about the original creation story and this original purpose that we're given, what should probably come to mind is how much we've just messed this up, right? That instead of stewarding God's creation with the same care and the same compassion that he shows us, instead we can rule and abuse privilege and power in ways that are so destructive, ways that have resulted in the horrible treatment of animals or the misuse of resources and the destruction of our environment or poor treatment and neglect of other people, and the list goes on. We feel the consequences of this every day. And it can be shocking maybe to realize as we read this that in this psalm, God never took away this responsibility from us. And I think for maybe many of us, if we're willing to admit, it feels like maybe God made a mistake with this one, right? It feels like maybe someone should have told him this was a bad idea, or he should at least admit that now he could go back and just change the whole plan, take it all back. But I think as we think about this and what we're called to, there are really two temptations we face in our response to this mandate that we've been getting and just how this works out in each of our lives. The first is the temptation to just continue to abuse the power we've been given, to treat other people in ways that don't reflect God's image, and we face this temptation in different ways every day. But the other temptation is to run from or ignore our own responsibilities altogether. Uh, as, as I mentioned earlier, I have three daughters, and as a family, uh, sometimes we, especially on trips, will listen to a Disney play- playlist. Any Disney fans? Nobody wants to admit it. I didn't used to admit it. I used to think it was just cool to listen to rock music and indie music, you know, some of that stuff. But then as I became a dad, I really got into the Disney music. Uh, but one of the things that I noticed as we listen to those playlists and that Disney does so well, is that it's easy to kind of listen to a song that comes halfway through a movie and just disconnect it from the movie or from the, actually the bigger story that it's part of. And one of the songs I thought about this with is the song Hakuna Matata by The Lion King. Okay, maybe you know this song. If you don't, I don't know where you've been. I don't know how that's possible. Uh, but this song is kind of in the middle of the movie The Lion King, and there's this pig and this, I think, a lemur-looking thing that will share this song with the lion named Simba. I probably got that wrong. Those aren't the right animals. But Timon and, Timon and Pumbaa will share with Simba this song. And really at the heart of this song is this idea of no worries, right? Which is such a fun song to sing. But I think if we disconnect, and similar almost to how we can do this with the Bible, that we can take a verse and disconnect it from the larger story the Bible. With this song, it's easy to disconnect it to what's actually happening in that, at this point of the movie, that Simba actually has run away and that they're encouraging him now to just not care about the thing that he ran away from. And as he gets older, he actually kind of makes this almost his mantra in life. And we find out later that as he's kind of embracing this, that at the same time his people, or the lions back home, are being abused and they're suffering and they're starving and they're being neglected. And in the meantime, we just see that this song is actually capturing this movement from Simba, not just running away, but no longer caring. And I think we face this same temptation every day. It's the temptation to run from uh, or to ignore or to stop caring altogether about the things or the people each of us have been given responsibility over or in a place of influence over. To just kind of say, no worries, or it's not a big deal. It'll just sort of work itself out eventually. Or they don't really need me anyway. 
and just to ignore the people or the places that you actually need to be present for and really care for in a special way. And so as you pray this psalm, as you learn to pray this psalm, it's a chance to just reflect honestly and to ask, where have I failed in this mandate God has given to just steward the things that he's placed before me? Where have I been tempted maybe to seek or to use power in ways that haven't honored God's ways or what it looks like to be made in his image? And where have I been tempted to no longer see the unique areas I've been placed as a real privilege from God? Where I've been tempted maybe to walk away or to stop caring? Maybe what comes to mind is a challenge at work or a relationship with a friend or a relative that God has placed in your life. One example that I think of that I still wrestle with, and for parents I think this is a unique challenge that comes maybe as their kids get older and how the kind of influence that you have begins to change over time. That how it, it then becomes very tempting or how tempting it could be to quit or give up on maybe the shifting role of responsibility you, that you have or the shifting influence that instead of learning to adapt to your new role and the kind of influence you're still given. But the kind of praise that honors God's power is the kind of praise that helps us to commit to the things and to the people he's entrusted us with and that he's given us kind of responsibility or influence over. But not only that, but as we move to the last thing I kind of want to share about this psalm, praise that honors God's power is praise that also trusts in his power to redeem and to restore. It's praise that recognizes God's power is a different kind of power than anything in this world. And that because of that, it's also the power to transform us and to redeem us from the inside out. It's the kind of power that was fully embodied in Jesus. And in the New Testament, the early Christians and followers of Jesus look back on this psalm, and they refer to it in light of what Jesus has done. And Jesus will actually refer to it in one place, and so does Paul and some of his letters. But I want to look at uh, a place where the writer of the letter of Hebrews talks about this psalm. And he referenced this psalm really as a reminder to the early followers to not turn away from the things that God has called them to as his church, and to trust in the power Jesus has to redeem. That this mandate of humanity hasn't, has been given to us, has now been actually fully redeemed by Jesus. And here's what the, the writer of the Hebrews says. He says, there is a place where someone has testified, and you'll see he just first refers to the middle part of Psalm 8. He says, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. And then he says this, we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Jesus is saying Jesus is the only one who could fulfill this calling or this mandate that God has given all of humanity because he alone is both God, fully God, and fully human. He alone displayed the kind of power that runs so counter to the rest of the world that in his ministry he didn't run from his calling, he didn't run from his special purpose that he was given, and as painful, as difficult as that was, but he actually leaned into it for our sake. He didn't seek after power, but he emptied himself and became weak and allowed himself to be brought low even to the point of death on a cross to be crucified for us. And then when he rose again, he was, he was the one who was crowned 
so that as we surrender to him and follow him, as we let him first wash our feet as the only true and worthy king, our purpose and our calling as humans is now redeemed and restored back to the original plan that God had. That now as we praise Jesus as the powerful and majestic one, he restores us to rule in a way that reflects his power, which is the kind of power that seeks to serve others and to put others before ourselves, to model humility and to trust him even in our weakness and in our limitations and even with the things or the areas where we feel powerless. Before I wrap up this morning, I want to share just a time in my life I've shared before where for so long... I uh, was really running from the things God was calling me to. For years, kind of early on in my life, I sensed and I had people tell me kind of, of, a, of a, to go into pastoral ministry. I felt that kind of sense, and people were affirming that in me. But for so long, I kind of ran from that or ignored that. And one of the reasons why was I felt like already I had just made so many mistakes that were kind of irredeemable. Or I thought about just the limitations that I had, or the, the, the things that I just knew I couldn't do on my own. And so for so long, not only did I run from this calling to be a pastor, even as people were, were infirming it in me, but I kind of told myself that I didn't even care, that I ignored it in a way that it was like, I didn't care about that, I'll just do something else. And it wasn't until kind of wise pastors or mentors or other friends really uh, began to pray about this w- with me, that they kind of showed me that, you know, as God is, was calling me to that, he was also redeeming and restoring me from the inside out. That he was redeeming me in a way that I could kind of step into that or take those steps. And I think about the fact that if I had missed that, I would have missed the different ways that his power has been on display. That his power has been at work through other people or through the church. And I would have missed just being a witness to kind of that, that majesty or the beauty of what he was doing. As we kind of wrap up this morning, and I'll invite the band to come up, you know, as we think about that, we're not all called to the same things as we think about this big calling. We're not all called to be pastors, and this calling we've been giving really works out itself out differently in each of our lives to show a kind of power uh, in our workplace or in our homes or whatever that looks like. But as you learn to pray this psalm, and I encourage you just this week to just keep going back to this psalm and praying through it this week, Would you, as you do that, just ask God to remind you of maybe the unique places or the areas of responsibility that he's calling you to and see what he brings to mind. Whether that's at your work or at your home or in a particular relationship, to ask God really to help you see it as a privilege that he's placed you exactly where you are. But also pray that he would help you just learn to rely and surrender to his power over your own to trust that his power is at work in your life, even when you're tempted to give up or to run away. Trust that whatever he's calling you to, he's also redeeming you and restoring you in ways that you then can model his kind of power to others that's so different than the powers of this world. And so in a moment, we're going to sing again the song, In the Name of Jesus. And as you sing and as we praise God for the power that's only found in Jesus, would you also ask God to help you to surrender to his ways, and how he wants to restore you to work by that same power, to help you mature in your praise of God, which is not only to recognize his power or how much he cares about you or meets you in in that weakness, but it also commits to living in light of that as you care for the people that he cares about and as you think about the unique people he's placed in your life.
with that, let's stand and let's sing this song together. praise you that God you are a powerful holy God and yet you come to us in our weakness when we feel powerless or when we feel small 
you come to us and you offer a special kind of strength and provision and freedom. So God, help us as we want to be those who are maturing in our prayers to commit to this, to trust that you are like this. And would it shape how we live in light of that? Would you transform us from the inside out to those, be those who take seriously what you're then asking us to commit to and calling us to as your church and as individuals? God, that we would trust in a kind of power that you have that looks so different than anything else in the world and maybe so different from the ways that we've been tempted to act or to kind of use to solve our problems. So help us, God, would you just restore us and redeem us and transform us as only you can, Jesus. So again, would you just go before us and keep shaping us in this way as we learn to pray and just honor you with our lives. Be with us even as we go. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, thanks so much, guys. Uh, We have a great prayer team in our prayer space on the side. If you just want to stick around, take some time to pray with somebody, they'd love to do that. Uh, Otherwise, have a great week. Enjoy, uh, Enjoy the nice weather. See you guys.